0: Please join me on page 944, where we'll be reading Romans 8, 28 through 30. We started into this passage last week focusing on the word love and how love is brought about. In our hearts, how it originates with God, and how He transforms us so that we live out His love toward God and others. And this morning, we're going to trace more of the argument through. And so you can see our outline there. Our GPS is fixed on good. See where we get that as we read. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us, Lord, to, to try to grasp something of the majesty of your amazing purpose your purpose of love in your people's lives. May it comfort us and encourage us and strengthen us, Lord, to give ourselves up to your will, relentlessly, faithfully, joyfully. We pray this, we come in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has accomplished this salvation for his people. Amen. It'd be nice if uh, when you are taking a trip, instead of setting it for Kansas City or Indianapolis or the Northeast or wherever you're going, you could just set it on good. You know? <laughs> just good. I don't know where we're going, but it's going to be good, right? Uh, or even better, it would, if you could set your GPS at the beginning of the day, I want this to be a good day. Not a bad day. I want it to be good. Set my GPS on good. Uh, Calvin certainly tried to do this. In, of course, I'm not talking about John. I'm talking about Calvin and Calvin and Hobbes. Um, Of course, you can assume if I'm, no. Um, So here's Calvin in the morning. He's putting on his underpants, standing in front of the mirror, looking brave. And you see him charge out the door, ready to tackle the day. However, he first gets gum on his pants in his chair. A bully knocks him up against the lockers. The fountain sprays water in his face. He's there for show and tell, and whatever was in his bag is gone because there's a hole in it, so he's got nothing. Then out on the playground, he obviously does very poorly in baseball so badly everybody's in an argument. He's waiting and waiting for the girl to get through swinging. She never does. He, didn't get to, he doesn't get to swing. At the end of the day, he misses the bus, charging after it. And on the way home, the bottom falls out and he stumbles into his house drenched. And so he's looking out the window at the rainy day and he's talking to uh, Hobbs, his, his tiger, who, as you know, becomes a real tiger uh, whenever they're alone. And he says, Hobbs, sometimes even when you're wearing your lucky rocket ship underpants, things don't go well. <laughs> and Hobbes says, well, you did all you could. <laughs> I just love that comforting. You did all you could do. You wore your underpants, right? <laughs> well, isn't it remarkable for us that our GPS regardless of whether a day might be called good or bad, in the end, it's fixed on good. And we're going to talk about it. It it can be so bad, you're paralyzed, so bad you're in shock of what's happened to you. We're not saying that doesn't happen. We may pour our hearts out in tears, but ultimately, it cannot but work for good. According to what God says here, all things work together for that good. But he says then for, for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And it's that line of thinking that we want to follow. Now, kids, we're going to listen for three words, moving day, oranges, and poked in the eye. Moving day, oranges, and poked in the eye. Now, you see, we have here on the sheet that uh, we're called, we have, there's a purpose, and then we're called according to that purpose. And the first thing I want to talk about in terms of this calling is that it is, and we're going to park here for just a minute, it is an effective call. Uh, The the theological word is effectual, but that simply means the call accomplishes what it wants to do. It's not just you call for your kids to come in uh, as it's getting dark, but they don't come in. No, it's a call that makes something happen. Uh, One perhaps good word to use is it's a fruitful call. That call will bring about... It's fruit in the person's life. You get a feel for this when uh, Peter uses this same word or uses the verb form. He says, he's called you, 1 Peter 2, 9, he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is a change in spiritual geography when God calls you were in darkness. He calls you, moves you out of that darkness and plants you in light. So you see, call, it, it, it's related to God's speaking the world into existence, right? It's emphasized in the Psalms as well. He spoke and it was done. That's the power of his word. And so it's that kind of feel. He speaks us into salvation. He calls us into this salvation. It's helpful to see Paul use a synonym for that in Colossians 1.13, where he says, He delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that, those are specific words, right? Delivered us and transferred us, but that's just a synonym for called us, okay? Called means uh, the same thing as being delivered. So we were in the domain of darkness, owned by darkness, governed by darkness, enslaved by darkness, blinded by darkness, dead in the darkness. But he called us out of that into the kingdom of his dear son. Maybe a way to think about it is those these cave ins we've seen where men are hundreds of feet below the earth and there's a cave in and there's no way they're getting out of that. No way unless they bore down, open a hole and then even lift them out of that place into light again, so to speak. So that's the power of this transfer out of darkness into light. Think of a lady, an old lady living in a dilapidated house. Uh, You can actually see outside in many places in the house. It's overrun with insects and rodents. It smells because she's so weak and old. She can't clean her house. And people in mercy come in to tell her, we're going to move you. We're going to move you to a clean, dry, cozy apartment in a retirement area, and you're going to get care for the rest of your life, no matter what your condition. From now on, you're going to be in a safe, warm place. She can't believe it, you know, that this is going to happen to her. Sure enough, a few days later, they knock on the door and they say, it's moving day. Imagine how wonderful that would sound. It's moving day. And that's what happens when God calls us out of darkness into his life it's moving day you're being moved from out uh, from out from under the domain of satan into the care of the lord jesus christ i find you in the darkness but i'm moving you from this darkness of alienation and sin and judgment into the light of acceptance into the light of growing love to God and others, and into the light of eternal glory. Okay. You say called according to his purpose, we say here. But what purpose? What purpose? Well, it helps if we compare where called falls in the next two verses that we read. So, Called according to purpose, but in the next verses, we get this. He foreknew them, he predestined them, he called them. So you see, purpose is further explained by the words foreknew and predestined. So these give you more specifics about the purpose. Kind of pull the threads apart or explore what was involved in that purpose. And as I say there, there is love that is foreknew. He knew us intimately. He set his love on us. And therefore, there's beauty in this purpose, he foreknew. And then there's determination and therefore certainty in his purpose. So it's a purpose of love and it's a purpose of absolute certainty. And in keeping with that love and that certain determination, he brings us to himself. He calls us to himself. You could even say, since he loved us, he made sure he would get us by predestining us. And that's a wonderful thought. He set his love on you before the world began and he made sure he would get you. Now, you didn't want to be gotten. Bear in mind, you and I don't want to be gotten by God. We don't want God by nature. We refuse God by nature if left to ourselves. One that we wanted him, he wanted us. And he loved us and made certain that he would have us. Therefore, he called us to himself. And all of this emphasizes the fact that it is grace and mercy it's not because of our works now this is made explicit if you're you've got your bibles open at 944 you just look across the page 945 and he paul is rehearsing what happened with rebecca's children in the old testament and he says beginning with verse 10 and this is one of the most astounding statements about God's purpose in the Bible. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done anything either good or bad. Why? In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. In other words, I choose Jacob. I do not choose Esau. I chose the younger son, not the older son. But notice the point that Paul makes here. It was before they had Done anything good or bad, whether they believed or didn't believe, whether they, you know, sought for God or didn't. None of that played in this choice. Get his point. It's before they even existed. They had done nothing. Why did he do that? So that we would understand it depends on his electing choice and his call. It doesn't depend on which boy was a better boy. And that's why to say God looks ahead to see who's going to believe or God looks ahead to see who are good boys and bad boys or good girls and bad girls, that doesn't play in it, Paul says. It comes from God's choice. And so any of us that come to Christ must be humbled because we realize it was not because of anything I did. It was in spite of myself that he called me to to himself. And if you want to flip exactly 50 pages over to page 995, you read a sister passage that makes the same point. 2 Timothy 1.9, page 995, easy to find, 50 pages (laughs) fast. But notice how similar this passage is. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And I treasure the fact that it says his own purpose and grace. Showing that. That purpose before the world began was a purpose of grace. He didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Grace was given to us before the world began. It was a gracious purpose, a kind purpose, a merciful purpose. In spite of who I was going to be in my sin, he still had that gracious purpose for me. So this... This foreknowing and loving us and predestining us and calling us is all because of His grace and mercy. It has nothing to do with my own personal works. And so we say here, I got the beauty of it. It's a beautiful purpose, it's a certain purpose. He foreknew and predestined. Now, what is the goal of that purpose? What's the purpose for? And Paul describes the goal of his purpose. He describes it in two different ways. The final goal in verse 29, he says that he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But then in verse 30, the final goal is so that they will be glorified. Now, those are not two different goals. Those are the same goals. When we're glorified, we are conformed to the image of his son. In other words, our humanity is made perfect and whole and glorious, just like Christ's humanity. So we are glorified because we are just like Jesus in his humanity. Whatever his humanity is right now, ours becomes the same because he won it for us. So conformed to the image of his son they will be glorified. The same event. And it's interesting, time and again, it talks about being called to that glory. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he says, You've been called into his kingdom and glory. So again and again, there's this thought that when he calls you, he's got this goal in mind. Glory. Or another one's uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.14, it says that, You've been called so that you can obtain the glory of Christ. Embedded in his call out of darkness is this vision, this goal, that you will have the glory of Christ. Or as Peter is assuring people in the midst of their persecution, you've been called to eternal glory, 1 Peter 5.10. Now, you talk about a powerful call. That takes you from the blindness and deadness and darkness of sin under the dominion of Satan and lands you in eternal glory along with Jesus. That's a powerful call. That is some change in spiritual geography right there. That's what God does in His call to us. And the reason He does this, and, and this is a remarkable, remarkable statement. He does it so that Christ would be the firstborn among many brothers. I don't know why God would want, with this infinite desire, for the final situation to be glorified son who had become human being and was glorified and for there to be a host of brothers and sisters that are like him. God had that vision for this fellowship forever that all of us would be like his son. That's what he wanted. That's why he made the world to have that final situation of us being glorified with Christ. That's why we're to be conformed to him so that he can be the firstborn among many brethren. Of course, the question, what does firstborn mean here? And... You can see, as I have here, that Paul is uh, talking about resurrection in Acts 13. And he quotes Psalm 2. You're my son. Today I have begotten you. And so in Scripture, to birth someone, today I've begotten you, is not talking about Christ's uh, incarnation when he was born to Mary. It's talking about his resurrection. So Scripture compares resurrection to birth. There's new life in both of them, right? So firstborn among many means the first resurrected among many who will be resurrected. Okay? He's the firstborn among many brethren. That is the first resurrected among all the brothers and sisters that will be resurrected with him. This whole act of salvation is for God's glory, but it's so obvious it's for our benefit to end up this fellowship of resurrected, glorified people in the new creation. And this recalls what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where he calls Jesus raised from the dead the first fruits of all who've fallen asleep. The first fruits. Now let's suppose I'm developing, I, I'm a orange grower and I have developed a new strain of orange and it's got a thin skin, kind of like uh, tangerines. I love tangerines or cuties. Cause you could just peel them like that. You know, you're not scraping white stuff off the orange and all that. I just love that peel. Right? So here's an orange that peels like a tangerine and it's just, bursting with tartness and sweetness. They grow this gigantic crop. You're there. It's time to harvest. You pull one of those oranges off. You peel it off quickly. It just lights your mouth up and you think, I don't know if I've ever tasted an orange so wonderful. That's just the first fruits. You look across the field and there are millions of oranges. This is the first fruit of all the oranges that are to come. Jesus is the wonderful, glorious first fruit. And you look out and you say, there are millions that are coming, millions that will follow the first fruits. So see, first fruit indicates that there certainly be many of them. And firstborn indicates that he is the one who brings life to all others. He's the firstborn. He's the root of their life, the the beginning of the new life that, that comes. So to put it all together, as I say here, when we're conformed to his image and glorified in the final resurrection, it completes the original purpose so that he will be the first resurrected in glory among the many resurrected in glory who are fully conformed to his image. He is and he will be the firstborn. And I think Philippians 3 is helpful to uh, enlarge upon this idea of being glorified with him. Because it says we will receive resurrection bodies of glory that are just like his. You read it there. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So that's why all things must work together for good because his plan, even before he made the world, is he's going to have this host of glorified people along with his son. Before he made the world, we see if that's his purpose, then everything that comes in this world has to work toward that purpose. Because that's his ultimate purpose, to bring us to glory. It's like if you've got a blueprint for a building, and this blueprint, of course, calls for certain materials for the walls. It calls for a certain electrical structure and, and plumbing and a roof and windows. It, it calls for all these materials, but they all must fit the blueprint. They're there for the blueprint. And brothers and sisters, the blueprint of creation is the glorification of God's people in the final day. That's the plan. That's the blueprint. And so none of all things can stand in the way of that purpose. All things are brought into your life to accomplish that purpose, to to advance that purpose. No matter how wonderful or terrible, no matter how exhilarating or shattering, they can only have one ultimate purpose. No matter if it comes from evil people, no matter if it's Satan's attack, it will only be allowed because it will advance the purpose which was set before everything else. Now, I want to say this does not mean God is uninvolved in our suffering, that he's detached that he's impassive. And he just quotes Romans 8.28. All things work together. All things work together. Right? The Psalms teach us weeping. Romans teaches us groaning. Jesus teaches us you cry out, why? All of this, it could be hours and days of being overcome and shocked and paralyzed. And then perhaps little by little, as our spiritual vertigo finally subsides, we're able to confess somehow in some way this will work together for God's glory. So we're acknowledging how hard life is. And perhaps sometimes the first thing to quote people is not You know, a tragedy happens. Well, all things work together for good. Maybe the first thing to quote is Zechariah 2, verse 8. He who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Now, that's not saying you're the apple of my eye, you're precious, and if they touch you, they touch something precious. No, apple is the pupil, okay? And I love this translation, it's accurate. Whoever strikes you strikes me directly in the eye. If you get hurt, I get poked in the eye. I don't know if you've just been walking in the woods and a branch, you know, almost brushes your eye, but you're, you club, but just how you jerk back, you know, you're just, because we're so protective of our eye. And what happens if you do get poked in the eye? <coughs> I'll try not to yell in my mic, but, you know, you're just over. What happened? I got poked in the, I mean, it's just terrible. And then your eye waters, turns red. That's the picture God gives you. Something hurts you. I get poked in the eye. And I will work this together. For your good. You see, it's not an unfeeling thing. He's all in in terms of our lives. And we may think, well, but he planned it. How how could he have that reaction if he's planning all of this? Let me ask you this one of your children has to have a procedure done that's going to be very uncomfortable, perhaps painful. And it's planned three days from now. Does that mean you don't care about it? Does that mean you don't have aching arms for three days thinking about what your child is about to go through? Does it mean as it's happening, you're not just dying inside and wanting it to stop if you could? You know, maybe God loves you as much as you love your children. Maybe. I remember that old movie, Kramer versus Kramer, when Dustin Hoffman's child falls from uh, an apparatus and he rushes him. He, He runs several blocks to the hospital and then it shows him at his head whispering into his ear as his son is being sewn up. There's a picture of God and his grace. So all things work together for good doesn't mean that God is not vitally involved with all of your suffering open to hear you cry out to him. But ultimately, your GPS is fixed on good. And amazingly, even the worst things will be used to accomplish the purpose that he has established before the world began. Now, if you're an unbeliever, some of this has to sound pretty weird. You know, talk about predestination and God calling us out. You know, I, I was so bothered by election or, or struggling with election. When I was a youth director, I remember spending a good part of a morning praying, agonizing and crying literally under my desk in my office, wondering, am I chosen? Am I God's elect? What if God hadn't predestined me? How, how do I know? I, was, I really, really struggle with that. And then I, I began to learn that you don't ask that question. You ask this question. Has he invited you to come to Christ and receive these riches? Has he? Oh, yes, he has. And has he, he says in John 6, no man can come to the Father Uh, come to me unless the father draws him. But then he turns around and says, come and eat the bread. You see, what happens is we just realize I'm so broken and so lost. I can't even come on my own. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, rescue me. Oh, Lord, move my heart. Oh, Lord, call me out of darkness into light. Lord, give me a new heart. Oh, Lord, come. Come. And do all that's necessary to draw me to yourself. You see, hearing that it's God and not you, can just make you feel all the more helpless. And it should. And me too. I cannot save myself. Only God can. And mercifully, we get to fall into his gracious arms and let him take us and protect us and care for us and forgive us now and forever. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, how majestic are your purposes. How amazing that you've loved us before the world began. How amazing that you gave us grace before all things. How amazing that therefore all things must work together for the purpose you established before the world began. That all of your people would be glorified in that last day. Thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, not our circumstances, not anything or anybody around us. It is you and your gracious, kind purpose to hold on to us and to make us like your own son forever. We praise you, almighty God. Amen.